Folks, have you checked out the Irish History Podcast shop recently? Right now, I have a sale of 30% off everything when you use the code SALE30. So go to irishhistorypodcast.ie forward slash shop and get 30% off everything when you use the discount code SALE30. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Rose McKenna and Sidney Arnold lived a double life. To many, they seemed like a relatively ordinary couple in early 20th century Ireland. However, they were also clandestine revolutionaries who participated both in the Irish and Russian revolutions. Given much of their activities were illegal, they left a little trace in the historical record. However, in today's episode, I'm joined by historian Morris Casey, who has pieced together the lives of this intriguing couple, a monumental task given that they did everything possible to ensure they avoided leaving evidence of their activities. Hello and welcome to the Irish History Podcast. My name is Finn DeWar and my guest today, as I mentioned, is Morris Casey. Morris is a historian at Queen's University Belfast and among his areas of expertise is the history of 20th century radicalism, not only in Ireland, but also Europe. That's going to be integral to our story today because the lives of Sidney Arnold and Rose McKenna will take us on a fascinating journey through 20th century Europe. Now, before we get into the show, a quick heads up about next week's episode. That's going to be on a fascinating topic, the story of the Andersonville Irish. Now, Andersonville, as some of you may be aware, was the largest prisoner of war camp during the US Civil War. Now, given that that conflict saw the largest number of Irish people fighting any war in history, it's no surprise that hundreds of Irish prisoners not only spent time in Andersonville, but died in the harrowing conditions that prevailed in that camp. Now, Damien Shields, a previous guest on the show, is now involved in a project to tell their stories. And having just returned from Andersonville, Damien will be joining me to share stories of the Irish who were incarcerated there and how it relates to the wider story of the US Civil War. Finally, In the coming week, I'll also have a major announcement on what is going to be this winter's Supporter Series, an exclusive series of podcasts available only to show supporters. Now, that's going to be on a topic I haven't covered in the main show to date. I don't want to say too much. I'll have a full explainer in a show coming out in the next couple of days. So keep your eye out for that. Sound on today's show is by Kate Dunley. Now, as I mentioned at the top of the show, Sidney Arnold and Rose McKenna were clandestine revolutionaries. But to many who knew them, they seemed like very normal people who had an interest in left-wing politics. But to get a sense of the couple, Morris and myself started by discussing their background 
beginning with Rose. Rose is from a middle-class Dublin background. And we know in part about her context because of her, her first husband, a man named James McKenna. He was an older man when she married him. Uh, he was a publican in Hoth, and he was part of Irish parliamentary party politics. His funeral was attended by a number of kind of leading luminaries of the Irish Parliamentary Party, um, though interestingly not by Rose, his widow, which tells you a lot about where their relationship uh, must have ended up by the time of his death. And Rose, certainly uh, in the 1910s, begins to appear in different literary accounts of literary meetings, but also as a, as a playwright at the Abbey Theatre, one of the early women playwrights at the Abbey. And so we can piece together as well some elements of her education. She was clearly well-educated. She spoke French, um, so she was translating from French. Would have been a very common aspect of the, the gendered nature of, of women's education in this period, that women would learn languages, which would become, which will become important to our story later on. And so this is where she finds herself in the sort of currents of of literary Dublin, but also political Dublin, because we see her also connecting in with the feminist organization, the Irish Women's Franchise League as well, and also with the Socialist Party of Ireland. Certainly after her husband's death, first husband's death, James's death, she becomes more prominent in socialist circles. And this is where we can assume she first comes into contact with a man by the name of Sidney Arnold. Next, we moved on to Sydney. While he lived in Dublin, he was an immigrant in the city, originally having come from Latvia, then in the Russian Empire. Morris explains what we know about Sydney's background, which is scant enough. And he was born in Riga, I believe in the early 1880s, and he would not have been the only Latvian in Ireland. We can think of Sydney Arnold as part of a of a a wider and a minor wave of migration to Ireland, and that gives us some ideas of his background. If you look at the the 1901 and 1911 censuses, the second largest community of foreign-born residents in Ireland are those identified as being from Russia. So what that means is actually quite broad because Russia or the Russian Empire was actually the term used in the census to describe a number of different ethnicities and territories, Latvian, Lithuanian, Ukrainian, Polish, and Russian. What you actually find is that the majority of of people in the census records in Ireland who describe themselves as coming from the Russian Empire were from Lithuania, and in many cases from a specific city and the area around it in Lithuania, Kaunas, today known as Kaunas, then known as Kovno, and they were Jewish. So Russian identity in Ireland, as it was described at that point, tended to be synonymous with Lithuanian and Jewish. Sidney Arnold was Latvian, so that made him a little bit more distinct, but there were other Latvians and there's still people familiar with the city centre of Dublin will or who are in the city centre regularly will regularly pass a, a, a relic of, of Latvian migration to Dublin which is Peterson's pipe store at this top of Grafton Street. Peterson, Charles Peterson was a Latvian migrant who came to Ireland. He was born in Riga, came to Ireland I think in around the um, 1880s and was employed by a German businessman called Cap at his pipe factory, then eventually took over the pipe factory, and it became Cap and Peterson, and now Peterson's as we know it today. Now, key to understanding this couple's clandestine revolutionary activities is their relationship, 
And Morris explains now how he was able to build up a picture of this relationship through painstaking research, identifying common events that the two would have been at and building up how they may have gotten to know each other. This creates a picture of a couple who shared an interest in radical politics that eventually developed into an intimate relationship. The first piece of evidence that suggests Sidney Arnold uh, and Rose Arnold sharing a kind of a space is from 1916, before the Easter Rising, and it's a meeting of a literary society in Dublin and Rose McKenna. At that point, her husband, her first husband, is still alive, and she's lit- she's lecturing on Russian literature. And the Irish Times provides an account of this meeting, and Rose McKenna talks about how we're at the, the, the dawn of everyone in Ireland becoming interested in Russian literature. It's the big topic today. And it notes that a man by the name of Mr. Arnold gets up at the meeting and states that Irish people need to look out into the world a bit more. And that would be a common thread in what Sidney Arnold would later write, that Irish people weren't outward looking enough. They needed to learn languages, learn more about international politics and so on. So that's the earliest indication I have of this this pair meeting. And you can track them in sort of overlapping worlds all the way up to when they they leave for Russia, performing in plays for the same left-wing theatre group, writing articles in the same papers. And one article, um, Sidney Arnold writes an article about how um, Irish women need to become more radical. And he cites Rose McKenna, a pamphlet by Rose McKenna, as a, as a, a approvingly. So, they're also sizing each other. And then in 1918, they publish a pamphlet together on Ireland welcoming the Russian Revolution. The historians often cite that pamphlet, but what's interesting to me about the pamphlet is that no one has noticed that this pamphlet is actually a partnership. It's it's not just a partnership in writers, it's a, it's a, it's a romantic partnership. While the couple were supportive of Irish independence and would be involved in the Irish Revolution, they had a very specific analysis of the situation in Ireland in the early 20th century that viewed it as being part of a much broader struggle. Now this analysis would be key to understanding their later clandestine activism and Morris explains this often forgotten perspective on the Irish War of Independence through this fascinating anecdote about a man from Finland who participated in the 1916 Rising. Now, Rose and Sydney would have shared a similar view of politics to this person. The best way to sort of answer this question, I think, is to illuminate with a it with a fun anecdote that uh, was dug up in the Bureau of Military History witness statements from the Easter Rising, whereby there was a knock on the on a window, I think, of the GPO during the Rising, and there were two. The rebels opened it to two men outside. One was Finnish, and the other was Swedish, and they were sailors who were just docked at Dublin when the rising broke out and they said something to the effect of um, you know that their English was poor but they recognised that Britain was a big empire, it was oppressing Ireland they were from small countries the Russian empire was oppressing them so they wanted to be handed a rifle and be um, be brought into the into the, the, the revolution um, and actually although we can't really figure out what happened to the Swede if you look at the, the handbook of the, the Sinn Féin rebellion, there's a list of everyone who was imprisoned and, and brought to brought to Kilmainham, and it gives their addresses as well. So it's, you know, it'll say 
John O'Reilly or whatever, Dartmouth Square, Dublin, or these kind of things. So it's always really precise. But there's one name that really stands out because it's uh, it's Anthony Macopaltis, Finland. And so this Finnish guy ended up being arrested after the, the surrender in Dublin. But what I'm talking about there is what gave migrants in Ireland the capacity to to act out in solidarity and to join into Irish nationalism was when they could take this step back and recognize this construct of imperialism, right? That they had been subject to it. For the people that I look look at, it had been Russian imperialism. And they could see how this was a similar process. And so if British imperialism could, a, a blow against one form of imperialism would be a blow against imperialism everywhere. Now, from a distance, it appeared that Rose and Sydney didn't really play a significant role in the War of Independence in Ireland. Indeed, they had moved to London. But this is actually where the first evidence of their clandestine activities survives from. Because in Britain, they unknowingly befriended Jack Burns, a British agent infiltrating the Republican movement. And he would document some of their activities. For example, Rose would approach Byrne about trying to buy weapons for the IRA. While Byrne himself was later shot by the IRA in Dublin, Morris explains how his introduction to Irish Republicans had been through Rose and Sydney. In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches and fine jewellery, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 5% off your first purchase with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for 5% off your first purchase. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Recently, I had a minor argument with a close friend that brought up things from my past that I really needed to get off my chest. I think we've all been there. Now, I found therapy a really great way to work through these issues. For me, I really like online therapy. And BetterHelp is a really great online service that allows you to make space for therapy no matter how busy you are. BetterHelp is convenient, affordable, and gives you the support you need, but also works around your schedule. It's really easy to get up and running with a therapist on BetterHelp. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. You can do your sessions by text, phone, or video call, whichever suits you best. It's all about flexibility, working around your schedule. At the moment, BetterHelp are offering listeners to the show 10% off their first month. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash irishhistory today to get 10% off your first month. 
That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash Irish history. He had first been introduced to Irish radical circles, this secret agent, Jack Burns, through his friendship and actual, actually his betrayal, um, because he wasn't really their friends out of pure desire, but his friendship with Sidney Arnold and Rose McKenna. And so then I was able to find uh, in Yale, actually, these transcripts, these uh, informants reports. And so suddenly this couple that I just thought were bookish radicals who did a bit of translating, did a bit of public speaking, I actually realized were something more. There was a clandestine element to their lives that I wouldn't have known about, aside from the fact that they were being betrayed by someone who they believed was a friend. So what I want to bring through in the story is that sense that there are certain things we know about certain people in the Irish Revolution. And in part, what we know, we as historians are reliant on informants as well. And when the informant informing on Rose McKenna and Sidney Arnold was shot by the IRA, that's when we lose track of Sidney Arnold and Rose McKenna. So British intelligence lost the source, but historians also lost the source. While Rose and Sidney were clearly far more involved than it appeared to many who knew them, they very much saw the Irish struggle for independence as part of a much wider struggle, as we mentioned earlier. So it's no surprise that they turned up in Moscow in February 1921 in the aftermath of the Russian Revolution. Morris now explains the situation in Russia and how Sidney and Rose would get involved in the unfolding revolution there and how it related to their activism back in Ireland. When we talk about them going to, to Soviet Russia, really their experience is, is limited to two cities, and that's a very common story. It's my story as well. I've only ever been to Moscow and St. Petersburg. But these are the cities that they would have known, Petrograd, as it was then known, and, and Moscow. And these were chaotic, uh, exciting, and dangerous times to be in Soviet Russia. So to give a, a very brief timeline, the revolutions in 1917, the October Revolution with the Bolshevik seizure of power. And then in 1919, Lenin forms the Communist International. So this is a, a movement headquartered in um, Petrograd and, and Moscow and later in, in Berlin as well, which sought to spread the, the revolution worldwide and to support the international revolutionary movement. So the Bolsheviks encounter this question. How do we lead the world revolution? How do we spread it? But within that really broad and ambitious question is, is a whole series of, of everyday questions about administration and about, you know, if you are publishing a revolutionary document, who typesets it? Who prints it? Who translates it? Who transports it? Who dis distributes it? And this is precisely why you have so many migrants with very similar backgrounds to Sydney Arnold and Rose McKenna flooding into the cities of, of Moscow and Petrograd because the world revolution needs an admin team and it needs people precisely with these kind of um, international experiences and um, importantly uh, multiple uh, languages. So Arnold was a, a, um, a very deft Russian to English translator which the common turn, as the Communist International is, is known in short form, was in desperate need of, and Rose McKenna could speak French. So this is the role that they, they perform um, in the Communist International, is as translators. 
women as well, due to the gendered nature of, of education this period, women tended to be pioneers really in things like shorthand and typing. So uh, they also become to be disproportionately represented in the administrative apparatus of the Communist International. Um, Rose McKenna wasn't even the only Irish woman to have ended up in the specific translation department. The translation department of the Communist International was managed from 1924 to 1928 by a woman from Wexford. I asked Morris what Russia would have been like for this couple in the early 1920s. He explains while they were in a country devastated by war, the situation they found themselves in was still one of hope. They were surrounded by some of the most famous revolutionaries of the 20th century. So you see how there is this this move to these cities, which are exciting places. They are in a way supposed to be models of the revolutionary city of the future, but they also don't hide the um the also more grim realities of deprivation and what becomes of a of a country that is was trying to establish a revolutionary society while also being invaded on multiple fronts uh, subject to various military interventions and uh, internal uh, civil war as well so people like Rose McKenna and Sidney Arnold would have navigated cities that were in flux, at one level would have had very exciting experiments in theatre. The Soviet avant-garde emerges in the 20s before um, Stalinism more or less uh, crushes it, its experimental nature down. But you also have wide-scale homelessness and disease. And the way that individual radicals navigated this and, and squared the circle was to say, well, yes, we experience these deprivations now, but we are building the future. And we are the only um, society that has solutions, lasting solutions to these problems. So as soon as the revolution erupts in Germany and the industrial West comes to our, our aid, then um, we'll be on the path to a, a shared socialist and harmonious future. So it was a very uh, interesting time to be there. They would have had a quite limited um experience of the cities as well because the the political emigrants is the term used for them they were known in russian as uh which means technical workers would have been would have ferried in their day-to-day -day lives between certain locations they all shared dorm rooms in moscow it was the hotel lux and they all worked in one building again in moscow it was um the commentary headquarters on on mokovaya street which is a a souvenir store today and so the, their world would have been very contained but it would have been extremely cosmopolitan because the people that they were sharing rooms with the people that they were meeting at the lunch canteen during work breaks were the revolutionary elite were the people who would who would become common names the world over in later decades people who passed through these admin spaces in the 20s would go on to be people like Marshal Tito of Yugoslavia and Ho Chi Minh of Vietnam. Now, Rose and Sydney left Russia after a few years and returned to Ireland initially, where they outwardly at least appear to have been leading very normal lives again. They don't remain in Russia long in the 1920s. They're already back in Ireland by the mid-1920s and then living in Belgium. Rose dies in Ostend in Belgium in 1931. And Sidney Arnold 
I cannot find a precise date of death, but he's writing, lecturing on Irish literary topics in London into the 1950s, publishes some poetry, appears to have remarried as well. So post their foray as translators in revolutionary Moscow, which I only discovered because I went and looked in the archives of the Comintern, what remains of sources of them are just, again, back to their their 1916, 1917, 1918 way of being, which is cultural articles, literary articles. And they don't appear in any of the various Irish left-wing groups that I've studied where I would have expected them to appear. Groups like the um, Irish Friends of Soviet Russia, which emerges in the late 1920s. This might seem like an almost anticlimactic end to the story, but this may not be the full picture. As Morris now explains, a major difficulty in writing the history of people like Rose and Sidney is that they were often very good at hiding any evidence of their activities. So while it might have seemed like they were living pretty mundane, ordinary lives, they may actually have been up to a lot more. This might suggest that they became less active, that they became less subversive. But I also wanted to kind of open this question as well. And to think as historians, you know, often as historians, we're very focused on what we did find. And we don't like to acknowledge the gaps. But I think the gaps are really important, particularly in the case of Rose and Sidney Arnold. These are people, remember, that had intimate experience of being informed on. They had been involved in a clandestine world. And through that world, actually had been, I don't know if they ever realized this, but there were two informants informing on them, but they at least knew about one of them because one of them made headlines for being shot in an alleyway in Glasnevin by the IRA. So they would have understood what it was to be betrayed. And they would have understood, and certainly this was part of revolutionary training in Moscow and Petrograd was kind of counter-conspiracy work, how to avoid being informed upon. So they seem like a couple that moderated and became less radical, but perhaps they just became much better at uh, hiding their own paper trail um, after their experiences in um, Dublin in the 1920s. And there is that kind of question mark that I that I've that I enter into this into this um, project, and and I think it's kind of it's worth considering, you know, all these the trails that run cold, and it, it makes our work as historians quite similar to the work that secret police were doing in that time as well. In many cases, the secret police were writing the kind of first drafts of these networks. And uh, yeah, so these are the kind of questions that I'm that I'm disentangling as well in, in expanding from this project also as I look more into the specificities of the Irish immigrant, the experience of immigrants in Ireland of the Irish Revolution, which is a really, really uh, underexplored but fascinating topic. I want to thank Morris for his time and sharing this fascinating research. I have links to his article in the show notes below where you can follow his research on how he traced Sydney and Rose across three countries and two revolutions. It's a fascinating read, as I say, that's in the show notes below. Now, finally, before I sign off today myself, don't forget, if you haven't already, do subscribe to the show and don't miss out on next week's episode on the Andersonville Irish. Until then, Sloan.